We're going to be over in Acts chapter 13 today. This is uh, one of those stories we don't get to a whole lot. I think the last time we probably covered this was back when we did the book of Acts. And I uh, haven't really hit on a whole lot uh, over the years. But we're going to take a look at it for something that we can learn in the area of joy. This is our third week looking at the mature trait of joy. So we're looking at the seven qualities of maturity. There's steadfast, patient, calm, peace. And joyfulness is the one we've been looking on here now. We saw that our level of joy does not depend on our circumstances, our possessions, our family, our friends, our, or the level of happiness that we have. Natural human joy does depend on these things and is and what's going on around you. But we have to learn how to tap into spiritual joy. Many Christians are walking around trying to fight a spiritual battle tapped into natural joy and are not aware that they're doing so. The story we get to look at today is someone who did just that. They took on a spiritual battle. They thought they were spiritually ready, but they found out that they were not. And we're going to take a look at some of the differences between spiritual joy and that that our natural selves can, can produce. <clears throat> We're going to look at how to live in the Spirit based on joy and how to feed it even in a trial. Now, last week we looked at how Jesus sustained that joy in the midst of his trial, but his disciples did not. Satan will use people. He will use situations, things that we can touch with our flesh. But God uses his written and his spoken word. That's how he fills, it, fills us up with his joy. You'll turn over to Mark chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 13. We're going to begin at verse 1. You can look at the screen. Use your phones. If you have your actual Bible, you can look up look up that. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went out to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now they had a number of people that tagged along for the trip and went along for various purposes but John Mark is specifically the one who went along as their assistant he was the one who was there to help them to do things that they were going to be depending on for certain aspects of this so we have a new apostolic team that is formed with two of the most prominent members of the church at Antioch the church at Antioch of course is uh, basically the uh, head of the Gentile church whereas Jerusalem is the head of the Jewish church and those who were who were of jewish descent more operated out of there and john marcus picked as their assistant now he is the nephew of barnabas if you don't know that already uh, barnabas has a family tie to him which is probably one of the reasons he got the uh, invitation to begin with but both men had to see something in him paul had to have seen something in john mark to have agreed to bring him along John Mark must also have felt that he had a calling into the ministry for him to take on the assignment. You don't take on an assignment going on on a journey to a strange country or actually countries, not knowing where all you're going, if you don't know that you have an assignment from God. So on the inside of him, he must have had a leading, a direction. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the direction I'm supposed to be going. This is uh, what I am called to do. Now, the church saw the calling on Paul and Barnabas. And so when the call was, was out in that meeting that they had, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. John Mark's not in that group. But Paul and Barnabas saw a calling on John Mark, and they decided to bring him along. Now, how excited would you be if you were a young, up-and-coming guy in the church? I don't know how long he has been born again. Okay, let's just assume he's been born again for a few years now. He's been uh, in the church growing and doing things. And two of the most prominent people in the church who are about ready to go on a big missionary journey 
two of the most prominent people have decided to bring you along. That's got to be something that, that makes you excited. Oh, this is neat. They think that I have something. I felt on the inside of me that I had a call for this, but now they're seeing it. They're feeling that I also had this, this calling. It's a great thing for people to recognize what you already feel about yourself. Now, if you get to go along with Paul and Barnabas, would you not think that this is a great place for you to develop your calling? For you to develop the, the skills that you have? You take a look at just in our own day, some of the people who teamed up with others. Lester Sumrall tells the story of whom he teamed up with and what that, that had done for him. And um, uh, R.W. Shambach tells the stories of who he teamed up with and how that helped him and, and develop some of the things that, that he was doing in ministry. And others, uh, stories can go on and on. John Mark is looking to become someone in the, na- the neighborhood of a Paul or a Barnabas or one of the ones that's uh, prominent in the church. And so he's going on this journey with that in mind. So he's probably filled with all kinds of joy and all kinds of expectation about this journey. Now, is this godly joy or is it mere human emotional joy? That's what we need to study here to find out. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now we have here uh, a passage, and we understand this as uh, someone who is a sorcerer who is in the church. Now every time I I take on something, even though we took it on before, and we took this on in the book of Acts, uh, every time I take it on, I, I, I go back to the beginning and I start from scratch. And I, I, I re-look at all the different characters in there because maybe I missed something, maybe I didn't understand something. And from what I'm able to tell inside the, the text and what is being uh, described here, this guy may not actually be a sorcerer. So I'm going to break this down for you as best as we can. They found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now that name should not take you uh, by surprise too much. The word Bar in the, in the Greek means son of. And you're, you're going to be familiar with some of these. But it's used in names like Bartholomew, Barnabas, Barsabbas, and Bar-Jonah. How do you remember Bar-Jonah? Simon, son of John, or son of Jonah, Bar-Jonah. Son of, the word bar is basically son of. So when you see this, when you see the term Bar-Jesus, you're looking at a term that is probably meant to convey son of Jesus. Now that's, don't get alarmed at that and think, oh man, this guy is claiming to be the son of God or or uh, anything like that. Uh, very often, the disciples of people were called their sons. Jesus even refers to the Pharisees' disciples as their sons. There are places where his disciples are called sons. So it's not an, uh, an unusual term. Don't get alarmed at that. Well, what's he doing calling himself the son of Jesus? It's more of a term that is probably used to say that he was... A Let's go on here in verse, verse 6 again. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, he identified Luke. This is Luke writing. So, Luke is identifying this man as a false prophet. Luke is not writing this at the time. He's taking notes at the time, but he's writing this later. So later on, they understand this guy to be a false prophet. At the time, they may not have realized it. They may not have known. They may have known. They may not have known. We don't know exactly. But what we do know is that later on, they did find out he was, he was so. But they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet. 
proconsul, Sergius. All right, so let's read over this again, Acts chapter 13, verse 6. Now when they had gone through the island of Tapaphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. The word that is interpreted sorcerer is actually a word that uh, does not have to mean sorcerer. It can mean it, but it can also just mean wise man. Now, how many of y'all know where the wise men came from? It's talking about a... It can just be talking about a... All right. Well, we'll we will change the mics up. So now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was of the, with the prong council. So he may not have been of them. He may just have been there. But what it will tell you is he was a dignified person. He was a recognized person. He was someone that the people respected someone that the leadership of the town respected. He may not have been in there. In fact, more than likely because of his name, Bar-Jesus, which is not actually his name. It's more of an association. It's more telling us here that this man was probably more associated with the church than he was with the proconsul, more associated with the things going on with, uh, in the synagogue than he was in the capital. So he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So he wanted to hear the word of God. You would think if somebody was high up in the synagogue, someone was high up in the things of God, if they were uh, someone who was recognized as a leader in the church, a follower of Jesus, they would be excited about the proconsul wanting to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, and this this part gets... I, I spent quite a bit of time looking at all different words. I don't want to lose you on all the detail on, on what was involved with this. But the word there, um, Elimus, it actually comes out of uh, Genesis 10.22. There was... Anybody remember Elam? He was a descendant from Noah. He is. Uh, he was a son of Shem. And Elam is actually one ones that populated the area where the wise men came from. And so when they were saying he was Elimus, he was of Elam. He was of that descendant, it would seem. And according to Josephus, who's a historian then, he said uh, he puts him in there with the Elamites. So... Anyway, we say all that. I can get you into more of the detail if you ever, if you really want to. I'll, I'll share that with you. But I'm just going to tell. Here's the end result. The word does not necessarily mean that he was a sorcerer. It means that he was probably of that mindset of the of the uh, Eastern mindset. It means that he was looking like or passing himself off as a follower of Jesus. And when Paul and Silas came on the scene and they were going to bring the word of God to the proconsul, he decided, I don't want this going on. That's what we do know, know for sure. So he says here, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, the man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, and that part there, so his name is translated, throws off some folks. But what I was giving you is the highlights and the details. There's a little bit more involved that you can show it to you. But his name is translated of Elam, from from that that area. So they withstood him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, there's a reason why I spent even that much time on this, and you'll you'll see this here in just a moment. Let's um, keep on reading here, verse nine. Then Saul who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now that's kind of strong wording, isn't it? But I want us to get a real feel as to what's going on here. Because we can read this over and miss some of what's happening. And I want you to get an idea of all this. So I asked some of our, our, of our children that are here if they can come up and help me uh, 
with this because we're going to have a couple of people that we need to, um, we need to, you know, uh, who, who wants to be our person that we have always thought of as being a sorcerer? He is the guy who is uh, actually the leader, probably one of the leaders of the church. So he, he's uh, a religious leader. And uh, we're not saying that you are, uh, <laughs> sorry, but we need someone who's going to be this person. Um, all right, we got Max. Max, you'd be good for this. Come on up here, Max. All right, now besides that, we need, uh, we need someone who's going to be our pro-council. Who's going to be our pro-council? Who's going to be the leader in the city? I got roles for all five of you, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, you can either you can pick it right now. <laughs> now, uh, who would like to be Paul? We need a Paul. We need somebody who's going to be fierce and nasty. All right, now come on, you'll, you'll be fine. Come on, come on. You don't have to be fierce and nasty. You're just going to represent somebody who's fierce and nasty. All right, you're going to do it. He's, we got our. We got our uh, fierce and nasty person, and we're gonna need um, we're gonna need a John Mark, because John Mark is in on this. Who wants to be? How many more we got? One, two, three, four. I was hoping we had a. Where? Yeah, we do. Where's Where's my buddy? Send him on out here. He can. He's little. He can be John Mark. We'll let him be there. And then uh, the last one we need. We got John Mark. We need, uh, we need Barnabas. We need a Barnabas up here. All right, you're going to be Barnabas? All right, so, uh, spread yourselves out. Where's our pro-council? All right, this is the pro-council. So this is somewhat of the center of, of the attention. We're, we're trying to convert them to the things of God. And, uh, where's our Bar Jesus guy? There you are. All right. So you're, you're trying to stand in the way. You're not happy about this at all. No, we, we want to keep this going on. Who's Paul? All right, you're Paul. Now, you, you're going to come in and you're going to see something evil in him. All right? You, you have to do some acting because there's no evil inside of this man right here. And, and, and you are going to be John Mark who's coming along to help these guys in the ministry. And um, you, you'll be watching all this stuff that's going around and you're probably not going to like it. This is, this is not what you signed up for. And you're Barnabas. So you're... You're his buddy, and he's acting in ways that you weren't expecting him to be acting. All right, so let's go through on this thing. We got uh, we got the pro council up over here, and the pro council is the, they're the one we're we're trying to get. When you get the pro council converted, you got your the keys to the city. You got all kinds of open doors. People looked at that and say, "Oh, well, if the pro council one. He's an intelligent man. If he saw the way to get in here, this is something good." This, this, this is going to be, be helpful. And then this guy, he just keeps coming in here. And when Paul is sharing the gospel and Barnabas, they're sharing the gospel with people. He keeps getting in here and messing things up <laughs> and, 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 and doing things this way. Now, Barnabas is sharing the gospel. Paul is sharing the gospel. John Mark is assisting in sharing the gospel. But only one person gets nasty. And that's Paul. Now, have you ever been in a group of people and something is being said, something is going on, and you don't like it? You don't like what's going on there, but um, you don't really feel moved to do anything about this. You're, You're there in the group. And, and I don't like this. And you, these guys are all new together. They haven't really worked together in this capacity before. So it's not like you could say, well, this is just one of those things. Paul, he's just going to get upset. I don't know that Barnabas, no, I don't know that Barnabas knows that yet. I don't know that Barnabas has enough of a feel of Paul to know that Paul's going to get this upset. So we're in this setting. We're trying to win people to the gospel. We're not trying to make enemies. We're trying to win people to the gospel. And then we're going along doing these things and whatever it is that Bar Jesus is doing to mess with what these three and their team is doing to, to further the gospel. Whatever it is he's doing, it's got to be frustrating Barnabas. It's got to be frustrating John Mark. And we know 
it's frustrating Paul. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Paul speaks up. And he doesn't just say, excuse me, we're trying to preach the gospel here. Get out of the way. He doesn't do that. No. No. That's, uh, let's read this over again and see what it is that Paul says. So first of all, Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. That's important. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Looked intently at him. Not Barnabas. Not John Mark. Not the procon. He's look. I want you to give him one of them stares that says, "Get your hands off my stuff." There we go. There we go. And this is what he says: "Oh, full of all deceit." That doesn't win your points, does it? Oh, full of all deceit. Oh, here comes Luke. We know Luke is there. Because because Luke's writing all this stuff down. So Luke's on the sidelines. He's just kind of writing all that. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud. That's the opening sentence. You son of the devil. <laughs> now, if this guy... Sorcerer, you could understand that wording a little bit better. But if this guy is a leader of the synagogue, takes the name Bar-Jesus, either it is given to him or he assumes it. Either he assumes it, trying to pass himself off as a follower of Jesus or a son of Jesus. Or people saw so much good in him that they put that name on it and he accepted it. Either way. This is the name that, he, that, that he's got on, Bar Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. And Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, calls this prominent member of the city who seems to be a follower of Jesus and to do good things in the name of God, starts off, how do you start it off? <laughs> Let's get it right. Oh, full of all of fraud, you son of the devil. Whew. Now, how many of you would like to be all full of the Holy Spirit and say stuff like that to somebody? <laughs> Anybody got some people in mind that you would like to say some things like this too? <laughs> you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. If he is passing himself off as a prominent member of the church... And you call him the enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Now, there's a key statement right there. Because if you're a sorcerer, if you're someone who passes yourself off as a, as a devil worshiper or someone involved in that, you are not perverting the straight ways of the Lord. You're coming against them. But from the inside, you can pervert the straight ways of the Lord. So more than likely, the situation we have here is that, Paul, we have come to our first place. We're, we're broadcasting. We're, we're teaching. We're, we're doing the things of God. The first place, and we have this encounter. First off, they may have been hopeful. Barnabas is probably hopeful. John Mark is probably hopeful over there. Because, hey, we've got the leader of the city interested in hearing more about the gospel. This is good. Chenzo, show me some excitement. Show me that you're glad. See, he's, he's glad. We're glad. This is, show me some excitement. Yeah, we're, we're glad. This is great. They're probably coming home if they, if this wasn't just the first day. Hey, this is great. We're making inroads. The, the leaders of the city see the value of the gospel. This is phenomenal. And then, there's this guy. And, and Paul, I don't know if, if they had one night back on there. Maybe he's trying to think, I don't know if I should tell these. I don't know. Am I feeling something that's of God? I mean, this is a prominent member of the city. This is somebody who uh, is influential. This is someone who the church looks to. 
he may be feeling all this, and then the, the, either the next day or the day of, this all wells up on the inside of him and it comes out. How many of you have ever had flesh well up on the inside of you and come out? We've gotten flesh that wells up on the inside of it and it just kind of comes out and we just speak things and we say things we have to apologize for later. This is Holy Spirit stuff on the inside welling up to where he cannot contain it. Paul, filled, full of Holy Spirit, says, and he speaks this out. That means his motivation is not hate. That means his motivation is not dislike. That means his motivation is nothing else except for what God has put on the inside of him. And he speaks these things to him. This is what he says. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Boy, that is, uh, that's got everybody's attention now, don't you think? Luke's over there writing stuff down. Barnabas, if you're Barnabas and you're trying to make inroads into the first city that you go to, and you were the guy who championed Paul and told the church, Paul's a good guy, we can bring him along, and then this is our first introduction to the first city that we're at, and he's, he's yelling at some prominent member. We don't even know who this member is yet. We don't really know, and he's yelling him like this. If you were Barnabas, could you be set back a little bit on this? Now, how do you feel if you're John Mark? If you are a young believer, feeling the call of God, feeling like these are a couple of guys that you can get pulled in with, understand the dynamic. Remember Barnabas? Who is Barnabas to John Mark? He's the uncle. Who do you think John Mark is going to side with? He's going to side with his uncle. And if they have any discussion after this, and Barnabas comes up to John Mark, what happened today? I don't know. I've never seen Paul act like that. And John Mark says, yeah, he kind of scared me. I mean, wow. That was intense. All right, don't go away yet. We've got a few more things to, to look at because the story isn't done. There goes, he goes on, now you would think that's enough. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. So Max, you're blind. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Lead me. Take me around. Now, this is what's going on in front of everybody. Paul says some very strong words, but then also backs it up by saying the head of the Lord is upon you and you're going to be blind. And then he goes blind. And everybody can tell he's blind because now he's walking around. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to lead me, lead me around. He can't, he can't find. That is quite a sign. All right, you all can, can sit down. Thanks very much. <laughs> Demonstration is, is so much better. What we're looking at here could be a very prominent member of the church in good standing with the town leadership and considered a close follower of Jesus is dressed down by Paul after only a short time of meeting him. Maybe he met him for an hour, maybe 12 hours, maybe a day. It is not long. And Paul just rips into him with everything he's got. He does it because of what the Spirit of God revealed to him. Other people around there, they lifted this man up. They saw something in his flesh that said this man is a spiritual leader. This man is, is worthy of following. They saw some things in him. They may not be liking 
there's a whole lot. Barnabas is probably, he could be on the fence on this thing because again, this is his first trip with Paul. I wasn't really expecting anything like this. This is quite an introduction here. Now he says, son of the devil. Did you notice that? He does not use the prefix bar. He uses the Greek word huios. How many remember the Greek word huios? Mature son. He calls him a mature son of the devil. Not a kid son of the devil. One that has grown up into a thing of maturity of the things of Satan. Because Greek is very specific in this and that is your most mature word for son there is. In fact, it is the word that we are to attain to spiritually as Christians. Sons of God. This is where we're supposed to be. He calls him, you mature son of the devil. This week, if you run into somebody that you really don't like, throw that term out to him. You mature son of the devil. See how that goes. Let me know. So immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So this guy, very possibly passing himself off as a religious leader, wants to prevent the word of God, the gospel, from being spread, stands in the way and ends up helping the gospel get further. There's a lot of situations that you all are involved with where people are either trying to be on the same side of or directly opposed to and are trying to stop the gospel. But God has a way to turn what they're doing against them. Now, when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, that's all we're given. John left. Apparently, that was too much. He didn't come for the, the first city. He came for the trip. He's out here for the trip. We understand from the rest of the gospel, the rest of the book of Acts that he goes home to mom. Sometimes we look at this, and I know when we're going through this on book of Acts, we look at the, the one side that says he got scared at what was going on and retreated and went home. This is not what I signed up for. But really, when you look at it, and I think I made this point when we were going through the book of Acts, there wasn't a whole lot that went on that really would have been scary, except that Paul got upset and called a guy, you mature son of the devil, among other things. But is what happened here that John looks at the way Paul is conducting ministry and said, I don't want any part of this. I don't like this idea of coming into a city and dressing down someone that is looked up to. I saw nothing wrong with this man. This man seemed to be fine and, and uh, as I could understand it. But again, the Word of God is real clear. Paul, full of the Holy Spirit. He spoke by the unction of the Holy Spirit. Now, it seems that Barnabas got on board if he was not already. He may have been. But if he was not on board, it seems like he got on board because they continued to go on and they... But, but John Mark does not. If you started on this journey, this missionary journey, full of joy, full of happiness, I get to go on a journey with my uncle, one of the up-and-coming leaders of the church, to go on a missionary journey and see the hand of God at work. And this is what you see. We're not healing people. We're making them blind. We're confronting people instead of spreading the gospel. We're tearing down spiritual leaders instead of building up 
and converting new ones. Maybe this just what this isn't what he signed up for. Maybe it's not what he expected. But what do you think his joy level is at right now? It's not real high. Started out pretty high. I'm sure he's pretty excited. What do you think Paul's joy level is right now? Paul's probably just joy level is probably pretty high. He's probably out there saying, "Devil, you got any more? Come on, bring them on." I'm ready for them. Whoever you got out here, we're going to get them. We're going to find them. We're going to expose them. I'm not afraid of you. His joy level is pretty high. All through this, we don't see his joy level go down. So what the enemy was doing to turn the leaders away from the gospel backfired on them. But how is it that John's joy seems to depart so quickly? And how is it that he just drops what had brought him great excitement? So this is what we want to take a look at. First off, spiritual joy is based on and fueled by, this is the key, this is the thing you got to get down, spiritual joy, not natural joy. This is spiritual joy. This is the joy that will carry you through whatever times of trouble that you go through. Spiritual joy is what we're talking about. It is based on and fueled by belief in and thinking on the promises of the future. It is thinking on God's promises of the future. God has made promises. And if you want that spiritual joy on the inside of you to continue to be fueled in the midst of troubles, in the midst of trials, your spiritual joy is going to be based, has to be based on and fueled by belief in thinking on God's promises. On God's promises of the future. What has God said? Now, here's an example where you can see this. We use this all the time, but there's no better example than, than this. Our excitement level of heaven is high. Isn't it? I mean, when you get down in the dumps on something, how many of you just want to start thinking about heaven? Oh, I just think about going to heaven. I think about the feast. I think about sitting down and hearing Jesus speak. I think about being in the presence of God. Oh, enjoying the presence of God. Just sitting in that presence. Oh, this is going to be fun. We, we envision this. And this gives us great joy, doesn't it? Because you spent a lot of time meditating on the promises of the future of heaven. Specifically, your future in heaven. That Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and that heaven is waiting for you. You spend a lot of time thinking on that. And so your joy level in the area of heaven is very high. The enemy knows, I'm probably not going to be able to pull that out of you. Because you know about heaven. You believe about heaven. You keep thinking on heaven. Because you've got that promise down. And you've got that future down. Natural joy is based on and fueled by thinking on the things we see and feel. Thinking on the things we see and feel and the expectations we derive from them. Spiritual joy, based on and fueled by belief in and thinking on the promises, God's promises specifically, of the future. Natural joy, based on and fueled by thinking on the things we see and feel and the expectations we derive from them. You look at that new car that you just got and you have expectations of what that new car is going to do for you. You look at that new house that you just moved into, new apartment that you just got, and you have expectations of what that house or that apartment is going to do. You got a new dress, a new suit, new pair of clothes, and... You envision the joy you will have just in putting that on and wearing it out and having those things, uh, in, in, wearing them in a public place and people, oh, that is really, I like that. You have expectations that are there. This is natural human joy. There's nothing wrong with natural human joy. 
I'm not trying to pick on you for natural human joy. It is good to have natural human joy. But it will not sustain you in a time of trial or testing. It will evaporate very quickly. You could have that new suit of clothes, that new dress, there with all, filled with all kinds of joy, and then somebody gets in there and picks a fight with you, what happens to your joy? Gone. Gone, because that won't sustain you. But you see, Paul, in the midst of this battle, his joy doesn't waver. It didn't waver in the prison when he was in there with Silas. They continued to go on because it wasn't based on these things. It was based on what God had said. And God had said when he was in prison, go to, go to the area where Philippi was. Philippi was the first city. Go there and preach the gospel. He did. And so he keeps focused on that. This is what you told me to do. I'm focused on what you told me to do and the promises that will come from that. And so his joy was able to carry him on through. You showed me what was inside this man. Apparently no one else in town saw what you showed me was in him. But you showed it to me. I addressed it. And even though John Mark may have gotten mad at him, even though Barnabas might be, we don't know for sure, he might be mad at him. Maybe the rest of the team is just kind of quiet. We don't know what to say. But it doesn't matter because Paul knows I got this from God. God gave me this to do. I spoke and the joy just continues to go on through and it keeps fueling him through the trouble. To take you down spiritually, make sure you get this one. To take you down spiritually, the enemy only needs to divert your joy from what God promised to what you see and feel. That's all he needs to do. If he wants to take you down spiritually, all he has to do is divert your joy from what God promised to what you see and feel. Because now he's got you on natural human joy instead of spiritual joy and he knows it won't sustain you. He can drain that in a moment. And he can take somebody like John Mark, chase them off from the missionary team. Affect the missionary team. He can do this. He can drive off the disciples from following after Jesus. But he couldn't take Jesus out of his, out of what he was doing. The difference between what you expect and what you believe. The difference between what you expect and what you believe will happen is small. And not measurable by your mind or flesh, but discerned by your spirit. You may not be able to see the whole difference between it, between what you believe will happen and what you expect because of what you see. There's a couple of other great examples in this. Elijah is one. This is a mature believer. This is somebody who is going on in the things of God Great miracles are going through him. God sustained him for years when everyone else around him was starving. This is the, this is the guy. God brought fire down from heaven and burned up an altar in demonstration of his power to his, to the people. And then one queen makes a threat. And he went from getting his joy from the promises that God gave him and the calling that God gave him and what God said he would do with that calling in his life and for this nation. He went from that to building an expectation from what he saw and what he felt. I am nobody. I am no better than my father's, were his words. He's ready to die. Of course, if he's ready to die, just stay there. She'll take care of it for you. But he he fled. And of course, God's words to him were, What are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very zealous for the Lord. And he went on with his, his speech. And God says, What are you doing here, Elijah? Because he left his supernatural joy that would give him the strength. He left it for natural joy. 
If Elijah can do that, so can we. He got his eyes off what God had promised. He got his focus on what was said, what was heard, what was seen. Remember the story when Israel came to Jeremiah? I gave you the reference there if you want to go home and read it. It's a great story. But Israel came into Jeremiah after their leader was assassinated that was appointed to them by Babylon. And they were afraid that Babylon was going to come in and wipe them all out because of this. So they came to Jeremiah and they said, Hey, go to God and see what we should do. So he did. Ten days later, he came back. God says, Stay. Oh, you're lying. And they wouldn't receive it. Because their joy was based on natural things. They were not going to be happy. They were not going to be joyful unless someone said, Flee to Egypt like they wanted to do. Because what they saw... What they heard based an expectation in there that when Babylon comes, they will kill us. That's their expectation. It was based on what they saw, what they heard, and certainly what they felt. But God was giving them a promise through Jeremiah. That promise was to build joy and hope in them. No, just stay here. He's not going to come and kill you. Ah, oh, we don't believe you. And so they continued to go on. They went down to Egypt and uh, they died there. Now there's two reasons why John Mark may have lost the strength his joy supplied. The pers- first of all, the persecutions are not what he expected. And what he saw replaced what he knew and believed in his spirit that he started out with. He may have started out with spiritual joy, but when he saw what was what they were facing on this missionary journey, it could have changed. And all of a sudden, he's looking at what he saw and what he felt. He built expectations from it. And now he's in natural human joy. And that natural human joy is gone. That means so am I. And he left. Or it could be that he had a disagreement with Paul. The way he took down a spiritual leader who had a good reputation. He had a good standing in the community. And he took him down without hardly even knowing him. Who is this guy who just uh, dresses down such a leader so quickly? And he may not have liked the way that it was done. And because of what he saw, and because of what he felt, he based an expectation on it. But why did Paul say it again? Why did Paul speak the words that he did? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak the words of the Holy Spirit. People that are filled and following after spiritual joy can pick up on it. John Mark didn't. So one of those two reasons, maybe in a combination of both, send him packing. Now I wrote down here, you, you can write down as much of this as you want to, but there are places we can see comparisons of natural and spiritual joy. I tell you this one all the time. It was taught to me and I keep teaching it to you. A good report is natural joy. It is expectation based on what we see. I've heard people, even Christians, say, Oh, I'm believing God for a good report. No. You are not. You're believing that God will satisfy your flesh with a good report. Because a good report is only for your flesh. It's only for your natural man. We like good reports. I like the doctor to come in and say, You're healthy. Everything is fine. But see, then my joy is based on the doctor said, I'm healthy. Everything is fine. I've switched over to a natural human joy. The devil loves it when you get a good report. If he can get your focus on the good report. Because he knows if he can get you to base things on the good report, well, now I'm going to be happy because the doctor said that I'm okay. Then all he needs to do now is let you stew in that for a little while, get completely moved over to the natural human joy. No strength is coming into you. No spiritual strength is coming into you. And then the doctor called back after a month. Oh, I'm sorry. We gave you the results of somebody else's report. Your report says you're going to die in a week. Or whatever it might be. 
But you see, he's already switched your joy over and you didn't notice it. What you have to get to the self to the place is, I don't care if the doctor says I'm going to die. What's the Word of God say? What has God spoken to me? That's what I hang on to. That's what I, that's what I do. You'll see this all through the Word of God. How many times did the children of Israel want to hear a good report? We want to hear that Egypt stayed home and didn't pursue us into the wilderness. But the report came what? Uh, that's the Egyptian army. They're kind of coming to get you. That's the report. Oh, and they became devastated. Is Moses devastated? He's not. Why? Because he never switched over. He's listening to God. What do you say? He said, you see those Egyptians? You're not going to ever see them again. I've gathered them all together here so we can take care of them. And they will never come after you again. Ah, all right. And he was okay with that. A good report is natural joy. The promise of healing and health is spiritual joy. That's where you need to get your joy from. A new job or a new interview, that's natural joy. The promises of God is to prosper us. That's spiritual joy. You've got to focus on the spiritual joy, not the natural joy. Now, if you're going to get a new job, how many of y'all know you need to take some interviews? Some interviews are going to come. But your joy comes from the report that God said, not the report that man said. Not the fact that this company is going to take, take me on and take a look at this. No. That's natural human joy. You can be, it's okay to be happy that a certain company is going to interview you. I've never ever had that before. Company calls up, they say, hey, we want to interview you. Oh, this is good. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you are not walking in the things of God because you got excited that some company wants to interview you. That's fine. But that's natural human joy. It's good to have some natural human joy. But we got it. What's going to sustain you is supernatural joy. Here's how you can tell. What happens if the company right before the interview says, Oh, I'm sorry. We already filled that position. Uh, we won't be needing an interview anymore. If your joy level goes, all right, well, I got too tied into the natural human joy. I got to stay tied into the, to the other supernatural joy. What's God promised to say? When the enemy comes whispering in your ear, you're just a failure. No one will ever, ever want to hire you because you're no good. Now you laugh at them. No, I am not. I do my work as to the Lord. They're going to be hard-pressed to find anybody who's going to work for me like I'm going to work for them. That's what will sustain you on through. Now, new friends can produce natural joy. But learning to depend on God, that will, that will produce spiritual joy. You've got to learn how to depend on God because sometimes your friends may all leave you. But God won't. New friends, it can be fun to have new friends. But learning to depend on God, that's where the spiritual joy comes from. It can be very easy to get pulled from the wrong joy. But the sooner we recognize, the less damage will be done. The enemy is very good at this, at pulling you off spiritual, supernatural joy. He's very good. And he's very patient. He doesn't need to do it all today. He can take a few days, a week, a month. He doesn't care how long it takes him to do it. But he wants to get your focus switched from the promises about you to what the world is saying about you or what the world says to expect. This is where we want to get you. Once you get pulled off that spiritual joy, though, the strength that you are being filled with it's natural. It's not supernatural. It's not, a, it's not as good. How many of you, because of the cost of gasoline, have stopped filling your tank up with high test, going back down to regular? And maybe you have a car that can tell the difference between it. Now, my truck may not get as good a gas mileage as some of you all get, 
in yours? In fact, probably nobody here gets as bad a gas mileage as I do. But I don't need high test. I, mine works just fine on regular. But I remember one time I was driving uh, a car up from Tulsa, loaded up with all my stuff because I was moving back from Tulsa, coming over here. And it was a little Datsun B210. Barely a car. You close the door, it's like closing the top of a tuna can. You know, it just, it just felt like that. You're just closing the top of a tuna can. And that's about all that's there between you and the, the outside. A tiny little car. And I remember driving all, all the stuff inside that car and hitting the hills of Pennsylvania. And going uphill, oh, that car struggled. I mean, I didn't know if I was going to make it up a couple of those hills. It's just uh, barely getting on up on there. And then, you know, going down was okay. But then you got to go up again. And so I had the idea, well, maybe if I filled it up with, you know, that high-test gasoline. And so I pulled into an, uh, not even a, a major town, just some kind of a small hick town in Pennsylvania. And they had an Amico station. And Amico at the time was the first one advertising 93 octane for their for their gas. And so I pulled on in there, but because it's a small town, it's not one of the major towns, uh, their prices are higher. And, of course, it's high test, so it was higher yet. I don't know what I paid for it. I just remember being at the gas station. I can still remember the gas station. I can still remember filling it up. And I still remember what happens when I hit back out in the road with the high test gasoline. Oh, we were making it up the hills. <laughs> we made it up the hills. We made it down the hills. We made it all the rest of the way. And we did, we did fine. You want to make sure that your joy is the high-test kind. Because God's joy will get you through things that natural human joy won't. Don't be afraid to have natural human joy. Don't be afraid to show natural human joy. Oh, I'm so excited that this got done. Oh, I'm so excited this came. You can get excited that an interview came in. You can get excited that a new job is in, in front of you. You can get excited about starting that new job. That's a natural human joy. And that's okay to have natural human joy. But if that's where you're getting your energy and your strength from, your spiritual strength, it will dry up as soon as you are in a trial or, or test. And just like with John Mark here, it dried up on him and he was out. How many of y'all can imagine that for John Mark, if he would have stayed with Paul, stay with Barnabas that he had a couple of years of development there it really would have been good as it was he went on back home the next time they go out on a missionary trip Barnabas wants to take him along and Paul says nope not taking him he deserted us before we were stuck remember we had to set up all of our own chairs because John's gone if I was preaching you were down there taking up the offering being the greeter, taking care of the crowd. If you were preaching, I was down there doing all that. And we just wore ourselves out. No, 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 we're not taking him. We're going to find somebody else who's going to be a better assistant and he's going to stick, stick by us if things get, uh, get nasty. Well, John does eventually get himself developed and Paul does say down the road, go ahead and bring John Mark. He's a benefit to me. It didn't say he was of great value. It said he was of benefit. If John Mark would have stayed with this and not given in and left, would he have been to a place where he could have been of great value? Well, that's just wording. No. Timothy was one of his great value. Titus is one who was of great value. Silas became one who was of great value. Now, this goes on. There's a number of people you can even think in your own head. To Paul, these are people of great value. For John Mark, he's of benefit to me. I can find some things for him to do. But if he comes, doesn't come, doesn't matter. I can find somebody else to, to do that. John Mark could have been developed a whole lot better if he would have stayed. But he didn't. Because whatever trial he faced, his joy did not get him through it. When things are going to get tough, 
your strength will run out. Keep yourself in the realm of faith and belief in what God promises is to come. Keep renewing yourself on that. And out of the realm of expecting what our circumstances point towards. Many Christians live in a realm where their expectation of what they see God is able to do. What they see God is willing to do. What they hear other people say. Many Christians live in this realm. They build expectation based on what the doctors say, what believers say, what this preacher said, what this thing happened over here. They build it on expectation, not on belief. You see, when I feed on the belief of the Word of God, God paints pictures for me of what's to come. Just like right now, you have a picture of heaven. I'll bet you when you get to heaven, your picture is wrong. But that doesn't stop you from getting a picture, does it? You've got a picture. And if I were to tell you your, your, your picture is wrong, you'd be okay with that. Yeah, it probably is. It's all right. <laughs> it's probably even better than what I think it is. And you, but you've, you've built this image based on belief. And no one is able to take that away from you. But the devil knows if I can get you in the area of your calling, in the area of the work of the ministry, in the area of whatever it might be, if I can get you to base your, your, your joy on expectation based on what you see and what you hear, ah, I can knock that out in a second. But as long as you are having joy that comes from that supernatural between what you believe and what God has promised and the picture that you have of that. He can't touch you. He can't touch you on that. Keep yourself in that area. And that joy in the midst of trials is going to feed you. That joy comes from your eyes being on the future. Natural joy comes from your expectation on what can happen. What I expect will happen. What I can understand happening. It's all very, very natural. It looks future. And just because it's future, we think, oh, this is supernatural. No, it's not. It's very natural. Because as soon as something changes on what I see, as soon as something changes on what I feel, it's gone. That expectation is gone. You can't be in that spot. Of heaven. There is nothing that can change in your life that will alter your belief in the existence of heaven. That's where you need to get with these other areas. And when you do, the joy keeps coming in. Health, joy. It's coming in. Calling, joy. Finances, joy. The enemy's trying to hit you down with finances. Food's going up. Gas is going up. Interest rates are going up. Everything's going up. Keep yourself in the realm of faith. Keep yourself in the realm of the joy. Supernatural joy. Because it will empower you through anything. There is nothing the devil can throw at you that will pull you down. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you for the joy that is in us. There is a natural human joy, but there is that supernatural joy that we have. We can tap into it. And even in the midst of terrible situations, trying situations, that joy just feeds us. It empowers us. And we can be like Paul. No matter what he faced, that joy was there. That joy helped him. So teach us the things that we need to know about joy. As we go through little things, let us see how to keep that joy of the Lord working through us. We know the verse says the joy of the Lord is our strength. But we've got to learn how to pull that strength.
thank you that you help us with it. Give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things before we go. The uh, baby Etta has a procedure on Wednesday. To uh, and this is where they're going to put pull out the tube that's in there now and put in the bigger tube. So they uh, they are believing for a smooth procedure. Uh, they don't really like the doctor who's doing it, <laughs> and with with good reason. And it's not just the natural stuff that uh, I don't like what they what we see or what we hear from, from them. There's a spiritual thing that's going on with them. But um, God has used heathen before, and He can use heathen again. But um, we're just praying for a, a, a smooth procedure with the doctors. Uh, they'll get it right because this last one they put in they didn't quite get it completely right so this new woman wanted to be right and not have to, not have to be tight anywhere and uh, that'll be on Wednesday is it in the afternoon am I remembering that time in the afternoon so you can be in, in prayer about that Father we just thank you that you are working through the hands of these doctors to do your handiwork we already know that baby Ed is healed, healthy and normal some of the things that they have done have caused her to not want to, to eat the normal way. But you're breaking through that barrier that they set up. And we thank you for it. And we see baby Etta eating just normally. In the meantime, there's this tube there that is giving her the things that she needs to grow. And we'll put up with that. But it doesn't change our view that she is healed. Thank you for all the work that you've done in there. Thank you for working through these heathen doctors. And they will not be able to deny the power of God that has been at work here. We thank you for it. Give you the prayer. His name. Amen. Tomorrow we have the video teaching coming out. I mentioned to you about uh, Brother Hagen's teaching, uh, Developing the Human Spirit. And so uh, what I did was I went out and I downloaded all five videos. I have them on my phone. I have the audio on my phone, but I did video. Uh, so what we're going to do, I have to work with Bruce. Let's call out to Bruce. He's going to help me out with this, I hope. <laughs> we're gonna, I'm going to try and load these things up to our YouTube page. Instead of giving you a link to somebody else's YouTube channel, we're going to give you the link to ours. So this way, if you have not found it, you will find it. Then you can hit subscribe to it, and, you, and uh, there's there's other things you can do with that. Um, you, can, you can watch it, uh, everything that we do on YouTube. We broadcast YouTube live, just like we do Facebook live, and just like we do Sermon.net live. We've got three different places for you to be able to, to work that. Uh, so I have to work now to get all five of these things uploaded to it. But if I don't have it all done by tomorrow at 11 o'clock, then we'll put up the one that I have from the other source. And um, I still have the access to that. So either way, this is going to be coming out. This is some old teaching. There's no video, except that it's just a, a box. Uh, it's just a still video, uh, picture that's there. But it's a great series. If you've never learned some of the principles of how to develop your your natural human spirit, to develop it spiritually, this is a great thing to go through. So there's five lessons in it. We'll probably take the next two weeks. Uh, probably put like one up and then three up. But you'll see all of them show up you can go through at your own pace but that'll that'll be in your box then tomorrow if you're on the text list you'll get it in the in there otherwise you'll see it on facebook the, uh, the web page all the normal places it will be have a great rest of the week we'll be here on wednesday night continuing our study on ephesians and uh, bless some folks before you go